Hey there, my name is Roy and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly and today we're talking about a subject that sometimes can make people uncomfortable, especially when it comes to church, but we're talking about money. Well, two men were abandoned on an island and, and the one man was pacing back and forth, figuring these were the last days of his life while the other man lay just relaxed. He leaned up against a palm tree with not a care in the world. And the first man turned to the second man and said, Aren't you afraid? We're going to die. And the, and the second man said, No, I'm not, really that, I'm not really that afraid. I'm not really that concerned at all. And the reason why is because, well, I made a $100,000 uh, commitment to our church building fund. So I'm sure my pastor will find me. Well, this morning, like I said, we're talking about money and Hopefully you don't think of me the same way as this guy felt about his pastor that he would hunt him down at all costs just for a dollar. But maybe you, maybe you think that we talk about money too much in church or, or if church isn't part of your regular life, maybe, the, maybe you think that's all we talk about at church. However, while we have talked about money a little bit here in, in, in little parts of uh, different sermons, uh, I was looking through my files and first of all, I, I found out that this today is the the 140th message that I've preached at APA. And uh, so if you're sick of hearing my voice, you've got great reason for that. Um, but secondly, I discovered that um, we haven't devoted an entire message to giving since November of 2019. So I just squashed the, this whole myth that churches only talk about money. I almost didn't put it in my email in advance either because I was worried that um, some might not tune in or show up, but no, I'm kidding. But when 67-year-old carpenter Russell Herman died in 1994, his will included a staggering set of bequests. Included in his plan for distribution was more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis. Another billion and a half was devoted to the state of Illinois. Two and a half billion was set aside for the national forest system. And to top it off, Herman left six trillion dollars to the government to help pay off the national debt. Which sounds amazingly generous until you find out there's a small problem. Herman's only asset after he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. He made some grand pronouncements, but there is no real generosity involved his promises were meaningless because there was nothing to back them up. True generosity, generosity as we're about to, to find out today, isn't determined by the amount that we give. It's important that we talk about money. And for a few reasons, but mainly because Jesus talked about money a lot. And Jesus talked about money more often than he talked about prayer. Jesus Jesus talks about more money more often in the New Testament than he talks about heaven or he talks about faith. Why? Well, I think it's because Jesus understood that your money has a way of gauging, having a true gauge of where your heart is. He even said that, that where your treasure lies, your heart also will be. So if you want an idea of where a, a person's priorities are in life or your own priorities are in life, Look at where you spend your money. Take a look at your, your bank statement and you'll see where your priorities are, where your heart lies. So 
So Jesus talked about money a lot. And not from a financial planner standpoint. He didn't have an RRSP. Jesus didn't invest in real estate. Yet the center of many of his teachings are all about money. Another reason for this is that he knew that one of God's greatest competitors historically for our hearts would be money. People will look to money to do for them what God wants to do for them. God wants to be the source of your peace, but many people believe that, well, if I, I'm going to have true peace, I can't have peace until I have this amount of money in my bank account. I can't have true, true peace unless I have this amount stored away from my retirement. So money becomes the source of their peace. Money can be the, the source of your hope. It can be the source of your significance. It can be the source of your security. And if we're not careful, we can fall into a trap of putting all our hope in money. And that's a role that God desires to play in your life and my life. And that's why we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Because we can't get to a place where we uh, forget our dependence on him. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You you just can't. You're going to love one and hate the other. And so Jesus knew that if you messed up this order, if you messed up who was truly the God of your life, or the master of your life, there were serious consequences. Not just spiritually, not just relationally, but physically and mentally as well. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 21, and Jesus doesn't preach here a a parable. He doesn't preach a sermon. He just directs the attention of the disciples to a poor widow woman. And we don't know her name, and I think there's some significance to that, that that it was in, in, intentional. The reason we don't know her name is it was almost to highlight the fact that this woman seemingly was insignificant. But this widow woman is about to teach us to look at our finances in a completely different way. Now, in all fairness, how you look at your money is something that most people aren't really open to uh, reconsidering. Especially uh, how you spend your money, uh, unless it's like, or, or unless it's how, how, how can I use my money to make more money? That's the only time we're really that open to it. And so talking about money makes people uncomfortable. See, often when I, when I see a preacher preaching about money, usually there's someone and it's, it's usually a guy. And as soon as they start talking about money, they cross their arms and they just give off this aura like, I don't want to hear anymore. But bear with me, because if you're, viewing, if you're viewing something wrong, the wrong way, or you're doing something wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want someone to point that out for you? For example, I was on a website this week, uh, and the header was, Things You've Been Doing Wrong Your Whole Life, and, and I learned a few things. For example, when we make spaghetti in our house, I don't know what it is, but we always make too much. And even when we say, hey, last time we made way too much, let's kind of scale it back a little bit. By the time we're done, we've, already, we've made too much. It's like we cannot figure out how to proportion spaghetti. Well, I discovered that the spaghetti strainer, uh, it has a hole right in the, in the middle of it, and that's to drain water. But it also apparently is the exact amount, if you put spaghetti in that hole and fill the hole, it, it creates a perfect portion of spaghetti for one person. Here's another one. 
in high school, I used to work at uh, the Petrocanada gas station, and I, I constantly saw people pulling in, and they would open their door, and they would lean out the door to see if, which side the gas tank's on, because they wanted to be able to pull up close to the pump, and probably because they were borrowing a car, or it was a rental car, or they were borrowing their wife's car, and, and they just couldn't remember what side it's on. And, and I, for, the, for way too long, I did the same. Anytime I would borrow my wife's car, and I just couldn't remember. But the dashboard has, right where the gas, the gas, the little gas symbol is, has an arrow right beside it that tells you which side your gas tank's on. Who knew? And here's another one. Apparently, the lid on a Starbucks cup is designed that if you take it off, it fits perfectly as a coaster. I didn't know that. I learned this one. I learned this one was, was really helpful. Um, so many times when I put food in the microwave to reheat leftovers, you know, you put it in, you put it in for like three minutes, you think it's, well, it's more than enough because you can see steam flying off the food. And, and so you kind of put your hand over the food or you, you kind of poke the food real quick to see if it's hot and it's burning hot. And so you take it out and you sit down and you start to eat and uh, it's freezing in the middle. And so I learned that a couple things. First of all, uh, you should create a hole in the middle uh, of your food, like uh, almost like a donut shape with your food because it'll disperse the, the heat evenly. But the more, more important one is, is that the heat, to get a true sense of how hot it is, you should touch the bottom of the plate rather than the top. That will tell you how, how warm it is. Last one. Do you know how to peel a banana? I mean, I thought I did. I found out that the proper way of eating a banana, and this is how monkeys eat bananas, is that they peel it at the bottom, what we would know as the bottom. They peel it from the bottom. And what that saves is sometimes if you have a, a less ripe banana, sometimes you pull off that top and, and it breaks off, the skin breaks off about like an inch from the top and there's that little piece of banana stuck in the top. Or, or sometimes if it's, a, it's more ripe, the banana, you pull it and it mushes the whole top. Well, apparently, if you peel it from the, the bottom, it's a lot cleaner. You can hold it from the bottom, and that's the proper way to peel a banana. There, I mean, if you get nothing out of this message, at least you got that. But often, Jesus, what he would do is he would, he would look at something he thought was right, and he'd have us look at it upside down. <clears throat> and what Jesus was doing here with this illustration is, is he's having us look at it differently than we've seen it before um, when it comes to your money. Luke 21, verse 1 says, Well, Jesus was in the temple. He watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection plate. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, the poor widow has given me more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. So Jesus is standing watching people walking into the temple, and outside the temple gate there are these large bronze receptacles to, for, to collect your money. And, and when people would come in, they would toss their offering into the, the money, and the receptacles, they would make large clanging noise. Not unlike here at APA, we have this big, like, big, big metal bin that we use for what we call starfish kids that we give to kids in Haiti. And it clangs. It makes a lot of noise when you drop money into it. Except the difference is, is that the large amounts that come in for starfish kids are, they don't make a lot of noise because it's, it's likely paper money. But in Jerusalem at this time, there was no paper currency. <clears throat> so it was just coins. And it was, a, it was a given that the more noise your offering made, 
the more you gave. Pretty simple. So it became quite a show. Mark in his gospel says they threw money in, in, into, the, into the bin because so, it sounded louder. And if it sounded louder, it sounds like I gave more. And, that, and that's how you knew who the big givers were, the ones that were holier than you are. And so the noise mattered. The noise meant something. The noise said something about you. The noise turned people's heads to see who that, that big giver was. But as Jesus points out in this story, heaven has a way of hearing things different than you and I do. Because this poor widow comes by and she drops two coins in. Not much noise. No one turns their head. No one likely even notices. However, verse 3 says this poor widow has given more than the rest of them. But the word that would trip up the disciples, and maybe the word that causes us to stumble a little bit, is this word more. She, she didn't put in more. That's not how we would define more. The way we understand more is more. More is more. Less is less. More is a, is a mathematical word. It's, it's a true or false word. And which, which is more, two or three? Well, that's not an opinion. It's three. It's always three. It just is. If you tell your grade three teacher, if she comes to you and she gives you a test and says, which one's more, two or three, and you write down two, you're going to get the answer on your test wrong every time. Because more is always more. Except Jesus implies that it's not. That he sees this word in a, in a completely different way. It says she gave two copper, copper coins, and these copper coins were called mites. Now, a denarius... Was, was a different coin that had the value of one day's pay. is what a Roman soldier would earn in a day, a denarius a day. So a mite was valued at 164th of a denarius. So, for example, if you have a minimum wage uh, job today that pays $15 an hour, and you're working an eight-hour day, you're going to make $120 an hour. Forget about taxes and all those other things. You're going to make $120 a day. So a denarius today would be worth $120. Therefore, a mite is worth roughly $1.88. Let's round it up and say a toonie. So she drops two of them, two toonies, into the offering bin. Four bucks. That's all she has. Four dollars. Like, What difference can four dollars make? Except Luke tells us this is what gets the attention of Jesus. Jesus tells us that she has put in more than anyone else. And all that clanging, all that attention, well, it seems impressive, but not nearly as impressive as what Jesus witnesses. Two little clangs made Jesus turn his head. A little goes a long way. And once a month, we take up a collection for, I mentioned before, Starfish Kids in Haiti. And we've been doing that well before I was here at this church. And, and each month, uh, people from our church will have They'll bring their loose change up to the front and they'll drop it into this bin. And, and, and sometimes there's a few bills thrown in there as well. And it may not seem like a lot, but for $300 a year, we can send a child to school in Haiti, in, in a Christian school. And, and getting an education in Haiti will give a child a chance to change the entire course of their life. And, and possibly change the entire generational course of their family. 
But even better is that they will discover that during, during that time that there's a God that loves them. Now, we had budgeted uh, $900 of this loose change last year to support three kids. And uh, the actual total that we brought in was $1,300. We were able to support a fourth, which is awesome. It's easy to think that a little bit of loose change can't make a difference. But this loose change is going to change the course of four lives this year. It's easy to think that your giving doesn't make a difference in but in the past few months, we've been able to be generous to those that we believe are doing a great work in the name of Jesus around the world and, and locally. Last week, we showed you a, a video of uh, the Mellows uh, in the Azores Islands of Portugal. And God drew the, Amelo, the Mellows to the Azores um, in, a, in a region that really there is no gospel, no gospel message. And so they went in faith and... and they, they started a, they took on a 120-year-old church. And so they, they could begin to do ministry. And, and that church has grown to more than 50 people. And APA has been able to help donate. And we, we sent $5,000 to help them with the renovations over and above what our monthly commitment is. And, and that commitment, we've been able to raise that slightly from last year. Benita Abrams. Uh, was just here during Christmas, and she's doing incredible work, and, and she's helping to, to feed the needy and, feed, and take care of the poor and empower pastors in their land to keep going. And APA was able to give her $5,000 extra to continue her ministry. We also give to Erdo, a Christian emergency relief organization. Um, we also gave $2,000 to our local food bank because we just believe in what they're doing in this community. We've supported International Justice Mission and Beacon Bags, which both bring a Christian response to human trafficking. Uh, and that doesn't include our support of Teen Challenge. That we're, We've supported the Men's Rehab Center, and we're now looking to add on a Women's Rehab Center as well. And on top of that, we've been allocating more resources towards local outreach in, in our youth, in our adult side, because we just believe in this community that, that, um, that, that God is the hope of this, of this town. So on top of that, I say all this to say that if it weren't for those in this church, that, that, and, and those of you that are listening, that didn't believe their little could do more, we, could, we wouldn't be able to do everything that we're doing right now. And so you might be thinking, but, but wait, didn't, didn't we get a larger donation that allowed for us to do a lot of these things? And the answer to that is yes and, and no. Yes, we re received a larger amount than normal. That freed us up financially to take on some new projects. And, but if our church isn't faithful in their get generosity, if our church isn't faithful in their giving, that, that larger amount, it ends up just getting eaten up and consumed by digging us out of a debt uh, that during a pandemic has shut down numerous churches across this country. And we cannot nearly do as much as we've been able to do. And the other reason it, it isn't completely true is this, that that amount wasn't, that was given to us wasn't actually a donation at all. It was, it was from someone in our church that for years believed in this principle that what they had was God's to begin with. And that the little that they had can make a huge difference. And so they came into a lump sum of money and nothing changed with their attitude, just the amount. It was still a tithe. It was still God's. 
It's not as if God is more pleased with larger amounts of money than he is with smaller amounts of money. And it's not as if God's happier with this individual that gave uh, because they gave a larger amount than the, the small amounts that they had been given that they had for decades. But our human instinct is to put this label of more on a bigger amount and celebrate that. And I think I share in some of that blame. Because when we got the larger amount of money months ago, we, uh, I, mentioned it from, I mentioned it from the front. And, and I didn't do it for quite a few weeks because... Uh, but for the sake of transparency, I just want, didn't want the church to think that we weren't being transparent and that we were hiding something. So, so, I, so I presented it and we celebrated it. And, that, and that's a human perspective. I mean, even, even though it is good news, it is worth celebrating. The thing I've struggled with is, isn't it worth celebrating when we have a, a young person who gets $20 for babysitting and they tithe $2? Isn't that worth celebrating just as much? But we don't do that. But that's what turns the head of Jesus. A Jesus that redefines more. And so this widowed lady drops two small coins worth $4 in the bin and Jesus notices. And if I'm honest, there's a part of me that expects Jesus to kind of go over there and maybe take the money out or give her the equivalent or more and say, hey, hey, you don't need to. You don't need to give this. You you know, God God sees your faith and why why don't you keep it? Why don't you go get yourself some food? You need this more than the temple does. And that would, that's what my natural response would be. That's, that's what I would probably do. I just, like, your generosity is appreciated, but you keep it. You need it. But that's not what Jesus does. Why? Because he knows his father. He knows that his father will take care of her. And Jesus knows that his father sees her faith and rewards that kind of faith. And Jesus is not about to rob her of that reward. And so Jesus points out this lady out to the disciples and makes sure to point out her level of generosity. And he's telling them, I don't care what your definition of more is. She gave more than anyone. Jesus is more. How he sees more. The Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God owns everything. Everything is his. So how do you give somebody who owns everything more? It's like if I hand you a pizza and you're the only person in the room who has a pizza, there's no way to get another pizza. It's just you. You're the only person. Everyone's looking at you because it smells delicious and they're hungry. And I, and I say to you, would you like more of the pizza? Well, you look at me strange and go, I have all the pizza. You can't give me more of the pizza. How do you give, how do you give something to someone who has, owns it all? You, you can't. And so for God, there's no such thing as more, at least in the way we traditionally define more. And so Jesus is using something different to measure this, this thought of more. When Jesus used the word more, he doesn't mean the portion. He means the proportion. And so Jesus, or so this woman gives more, but not because of the amount, but because of the proportion in which she had. It represented everything she had. See, in our world, if you ask the average person on the street, what's more, a million dollars or two toonies? A million is always more, but not for Jesus. 
I've told you a few times, but back in 2018, I went on a missions trip to Guatemala. And on the missions trip, I saw true poverty, poverty that broke my heart. It was an eye-opener that shaped a lot of my current worldview. And I spent some time in a couple schools where these kids had been sponsored to go to school, which is not just a given, not, not just a, a right for kids in, in Guatemala, much like starfish kids. And, and some of the kids that were in this school had been living in an actual garbage dump. And, and their parents lived in the garbage dump and their parents lived in the garbage dump. And this was a generational thing that, that they couldn't break because none of them had been given a chance. None of them had an education. And so another part of the trip was building homes for people who didn't have a home. And, and, and these were simple homes. They, they were a concrete slab, some poles, uh, posts that were that were uh, put into the concrete and then some tin sides and a tin roof. And when we completed the last of the nine or ten homes that we had built that week, we went around and we dedicated the, the homes and we prayed over them, prayed over the families that were going to be living in them. And, and uh, on one particular house, it was a single mom with a couple young kids and they were getting their own home. The father had walked out on them and they literally did not have a roof to call their own. And so we went and we prayed there and there was lots of smiles and lots of hugs. And, and, and even though there was a language barrier, we had interpreters, but there was a language barrier. There was, there was a common just joy that was, that was happening there. And she was so proud. I think, she, I think she borrowed clothes for the occasion and she decorated some of the, the front of the house with some, some leaves and... And, and she was just so proud of it. And then she brought out a couple bottles of Coca-Cola and, and was pouring them out in these small plastic cups or styrofoam cups to hand out to the Canadians that had built her home. And so my initial response was to pass on the drink. And maybe it was because it was lukewarm cola and as Canadians were spoiled, they're like, where's the ice? Um, but more, it was more of, I could tell she didn't have a lot and I, I didn't want to, I didn't, I wanted her to just keep, I didn't want to take what, the little that she had. And, and uh, but the interpreter told me that she's so overwhelmed with joy that she spent everything she has to buy these two bottles of Coke and some cups to honor the guests that had given to her all she had. And so I drank. And I understood what Jesus meant in that moment about more. Because if you ask me when it comes to a gift, what's the most someone has ever given me? The most someone has ever given me is a lukewarm cup of Coca-Cola. That's the most. Because it's proportion, not portion. Jesus defines more not by the sum, but by the sacrifice there's a verse in 2 Samuel where David says, I'm not going to offer the Lord anything that costs me nothing. And so we take David's lead and we say, I'm not going to offer the Lord anything that doesn't cost me anything. I want it to cost me something. It's like if I hand you a can of Coke, you're at my house and I hand you a can of Coke, but that can of Coke came from one of the four cases that I already have, which sat along beside the other drinks that I had, which sat along by the food in the house that I own, but with a bank account that has savings in it, that, that in proportion, that, that Coke cost me nothing. 
But when that Coke is all you have, you understand more. When it comes to the finances at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, and I don't know how every other church does it, but the amount that you give is not known by me, isn't known by our leadership team or our staff, and I prefer it that way. I have no idea what any individual or any family gives or how often they give. And Like some of you may have given like a big donation and you're waiting on a thank you note from me. It's not coming because I have no idea. I mean, I know what normally comes in. I know the trends of what, what we bring in month to month. And every once in a while, I'll see like, hey, we, we brought in three times the amount we normally bring, would bring in one week. And I know somebody gave a, a large amount. And I just don't know who. I have no idea what any one person has given. And there's a reason for this policy. It's because it, beca- it can become very dangerous. When our human side takes over, we just tend to measure more in the wrong way. See, I've long suspected that the biggest giver in our church isn't who you think it is. I've long suspected that the biggest giver in our church might be an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old or a single mom or, or a senior with a limited budget. God's not limited by the amount that we give. Because God can take a toonie from a babysitting job and it can have eternal impact. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Pharisees that they wanted to make their, the Pharisee wanted to make his prayer known. He wanted everyone to hear his prayer. He wanted the recognition for his prayer in front of others. And Jesus scolded this act. And the same thing goes with our giving. See, we have this tendency that we, we want to be recognized, that we... We want uh, things to be named after us because of our generous donation. Or that Jesus says, give your gifts in private so that your Father will reward you. That's the recognition that you want. You want recognition from God. You don't want recognition from me. You don't want recognition from our leadership team. You don't want recognition from the people in the congregation as they watch you put your money in. That's why I prefer not to know. In fact, COVID forced us to stop passing around the offering plate, or in our case, we had offering bags. Now we just have a box that sits at the back of the room where you can just slip uh, your tithe in without all the eyes on you. Because when, when the, the offering bag was passed around, there was, there was pressure to, to give because people were watching. I had one person say to me, uh, you know, I actually would like to e-transfer, but... It's easy. E-transferring is easy for me, but there's just there's something where I feel guilty when that bag gets passed around and people are watching me and I don't put anything in it. I feel like I feel guilty. Guilt's never a good reason to give. Guilt's never a good reason to give. Church should never be using guilt to have people have people give. So I think the the box is actually better. Does it mean that it's easier for you you to leave the service and not give because the pressure's off? Sure. Absolutely. That's not my concern. That's actually between God and you. That's a God and you thing. Giving should never be an obligation. And And that's not how it's talked about in Scripture either. Jesus never talks about giving as a burden. He presents it as an opportunity. 
In Matthew 19, Jesus is talking about sacrifice, and he says it's, it's an opportunity. Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone who's given up houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return, and will inherit eternal life. A hundred times as much. It's, it's an opportunity. That's 10,000% that's rate of return. And Jesus is not exaggerating just to make a point here. What he's trying to say is, whatever it is you sacrifice, whether it be time or your money or your energy, that return that you will experience now and in eternity is far more than you could ever imagine. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. And that's why talking about money shouldn't be uncomfortable. Because it's an opportunity for us to humbly join with God in the work that he's doing around this world. And so my challenge for you is this. My challenge for you is to take a look at your giving. Are you, are you holding, holding back? Are you, it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. We, I'm so thankful for people for years and years and years in this church that have said, I see an opportunity. And, and it's not based on how much I give. It's, it's, not, it's not based on how little I have or how much I have. And we've been able, we have lights on, heat on. We're able to broadcast to the internet because of people who said, I see an opportunity to partner with God in the great work he's doing. Let's pray. God, it's, it's pretty true that where our finances are, that's where our heart is as well. We tend to give to the things that we care about. We tend to, we tend to spend on the things that we deem important. And yet, <clears throat> everything that we have is yours. And so, God, I pray that um, in every one of us, this would be a, a, a place of reflection where we would, we would see where's the opportunity for us to, to partner with you and do incredible things to impact, have impact that will have eternal consequences or eternal implications. And so, God, I pray that um, we'd be known as an irrationally generous people in the way that we give, the way that we love, the way that we serve. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.